You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, I I give you great thanks and praise for this opportunity to gather together. Um, Thank you that you provide this opportunity and that you are Reveal to us as a good and gracious shepherd, uh, one who seeks us, who desires to gather us to yourself and to one another, and you promise to be with us and go before us. And so as we're gathered today, I do pray that you would wonderfully graciously draw us to you, draw us to one another. And in the end, um, in the words that I share, ultimately, Lord, I, I pray that your living word would go forth through the power and the presence of your spirit. And all this I ask in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, uh, thanks to Fontaine, and it's, and it's great to see all of you. As I have a few things to share with you today, and as I do, one thing I want to say is that uh, certainly for me and um, Fontaine and the other crew, the other clergy and staff, if you'd ever like to know more, we're always happy to have lunch or a cup of coffee or whatever that might be, so happy to sit down with you and get to know you better, uh, give you the opportunity to ask us any questions. That's... Um, yeah, that, we, we love to do that. So rather than, that's not something else to put on the calendar, that's something that we love to clear the calendar for. So if that's something you'd like to do, no, we'd love to catch up with y'all and appreciate that opportunity. So uh, the, the topic I have today is what is, what is the gospel? And uh, well, I'll just say a little bit about uh, myself, which is not the gospel. Um, I've been here... Uh, I've been here at the Advent for, uh, for 16 years and have served in a number of different capacities. So I've worked with our Christian education as the day school chaplain, with our uh, mission and outreach, with our pastoral care, was the interim dean before becoming the dean. So really, I've been very, very fortunate to uh, be involved in ministry at the Advent across the spectrums um, over those 16 years uh, being involved. Fontaine and I worked in Christian education um, 16 years ago, so uh, so uh, a, a lot of fun. Uh, my wife Paula is a 4K teacher here. We have a school, a K through eighth grade school, and she's a 4K teacher. That, as she says, those are her people. Um, the four-year-olds, that is her. Uh, that's that's her zone. Those are her people. We have three uh, adult children who live here in Birmingham and also attend the Advent. We have uh, a daughter who is a middle school science teacher. We have a daughter that is a nurse at UAB, and our son works with a, a private equity group here in town. So all three of our kids are, um, they're, they're grown and they live here in Birmingham and are part of the Advent also. And they, uh, not that this is especially relevant, they, um, well, they like to sleep. So they're typically 11 o'clockers. Um, so that's so that, a kind of joke about they really, and I really shouldn't, but in all honesty, if you would look for them at the 1110 service, um, that's kind of, you always are sort of around 1110, and you'll see them in the back. Um, that's that's my family. Um, so that that would be that would be my family uh, coming at that time. One of the things too, I'll say about the gospel. One of the things that we hope to do at the Advent, and again, um, in recognition of the gospel, uh, we do all of this uh, recognizably in a flawed way. Um, so we we seek to go about it prayerfully and faithfully and graciously and well, but. But everything that we do, we do in a flawed way. But one of the things that we have on, uh, we want the gospel to infuse every facet of our ministry. Uh, you know, sincerely, every, everything that we, everything that we do, 
And one of the things that we do is we have a number of services on Sunday, and you may know that already, but we have a 7.30 service, which is lovely, and it's quiet, and it's reverent, and it's 45 minutes. Um, and that's, you know, the 7.30, you know, it's the 7.30 service, and it's always a communion service. We have two 9 o'clock services, uh, one in the church uh, in the nave, and then the other one is in the room that we call the refectory choir and organ uh, in the nave, and then we have a band that leads the nine o'clock refectory service. The idea behind that is, um, in the end, I mean, we want to hold out the gospel. We want to give landing places for people. Uh, so rather than substance over style, um, so we certainly are a liturgical church, and we love the liturgy, not just because um, uh, of the aesthetic of it, because of the substance um, of it. And so we want to present that in numerous ways. So the two nine o'clocks, as I say, the 11 or the 1110 service um, is back in the church. Uh, and then we do a five o'clock service that uh, is led by the band as well. And as you might imagine, that tends to be a more uh, relaxed service for lack of a better word. Um, Stephen Green uh, is often a uh, the keyboard player at the nine o'clock refectory service and also uh, at the five o'clock. Well, the first thing I'd like to say about the gospel is um, what, you, what you may know is that uh, you know, the word obviously means good news. Um, that's what the word gospel means. Uh, the word means um, good news. And uh, I always like to say it's, it's good news, not good advice. Um, and that's something that's important in the way that, that why Christianity is good news. It's, about good, it's good news about what God has accomplished um, on our behalf um, rather than good advice about what you need to do to please God. Uh, and that's, that's, an important, that's an important distinction. And, and I think a lot of folks in all sincerity um, and, and Christianity, uh, Christianity is not devoid or absent of truth. Um, there, that's, that's, not to, um, that's not to undo truth uh, and it's not to undo um, holiness. Um, but the gospel is a word of good news rather than good advice. And it's a word of good news about what God has accomplished on our behalf uh, in Jesus Christ. So it's a, it's a saving word. Uh, it's a freeing word. It's a, it's a healing word. It's, it's a restoring word. But it, very much so, it's about what God has accomplished um, on our behalf. And there are a couple of scriptures that we often share at this time. And the reality is, good heavens, um, uh, there's numerous ones we could choose from, but one of the things I'd like to say too is when we talk about the gospel, of course, uh, you know, often you think of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But one thing is to say is that the gospel um, doesn't simply show up in the New Testament, but it's absent in the Old Testament. Um, the revelation of the gracious character of God, the, the saving mercy of God is something which is there from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. So it's not uh, one of the one of the things that could be misconstrued or misrepresented is basically uh, God changes his personality in the New Testament. Um, he was kind of grumpier, but then he got over it. Um, and so, um, so that's, 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 a, that's a false distinction to say that the God of the Old Testament is one person, the God of the New Testament is, is basically God changing his mind, a new revelation. Uh, that, that good news and the necessity of God's saving grace being the means of our hope and the means of our security is something which is present um, from beginning from beginning to end. Uh, and I'm going to read a couple of scriptures and, uh, and, and share a story maybe to try to um, flesh some of this out. One of the ones that you often think of, um, John 3.16, um, 
uh, and certainly um, back in the day, that was, you know, that was the thing, uh, was the placard uh, being held up, John 316, uh, at the sporting events and other, uh, and other events. But if you remember the third chapter of John's Gospel, uh, and if you don't, we're really glad you're here too. So this isn't a test. No one will be quizzed um, exactly to quote or reveal the substance of um, John 3. But in the third chapter of John's Gospel, if you remember, Nicodemus comes to Jesus um, at, at night, and we can, uh, we can debate um, uh, his... Uh, uh, well, he comes to Jesus at night, of course, because he's, a, he's afraid of being seen with Jesus. I think that's probably pretty safe to say. Um, is concerned about being um, recognized with him, and, and yet there's something about... Jesus is teaching, and there's something about Jesus's person that that draws Nicodemus, uh, and and you might say that within Nicodemus is uh, is the human need and the human longing, um, and uh, you know we talk about gospel meaning quite literally the uh, the Greek word is uh, when you want to sound poncy is euangelion um, uh, means good news. Um, there's something in that longing of the human condition um, that. Uh, that we're longing, that we're longing for good news. Um, that we, um, that we want a word of hope. That we want a substantive word. We all want that. Um, we all want to experience love and grace, um, re- regardless of who you are sitting around the table here. That's something that each and every one of us long for, uh, and the, and the meaning and the security that that comes as a result of the experience of that in relationship. Uh, and so Nicodemus is is drawn to Jesus and he comes to speak to Jesus. And of course, <laughs> Jesus, as he's sometimes prone to do, um, speaks to him in a way that it's uh, initially utterly confusing, um, that, that you must be born again. Uh, Nicodemus, of course, says, I'm trying to track with you, but that's absurd. Um, I, I'm, I'm an old man. Um, how can an old man um, be born again? Uh, you know, unless you're born by water, uh, and, and the Spirit, Jesus says, you, know, you have no part of me. And so, you know, fairness to Nicodemus, swap places, put us in that place. We're going to be struggling with that word as well. And then Jesus says some interesting, um, he says these words, Truly, truly, uh, I say to you. And, and rather than Jesus um, being redundant, those are words, when you hear those words, truly, truly, um, I say to you, that's kind of a, uh, that's a marker for us to play, to pray, uh, to pay close attention. Jesus is saying, "This is something I really want you to hear." Um, truly, truly, um, I say to you, is what Jesus says. We speak of what we know, and we we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive um, our our testimony. And he goes on, and he says, "This no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man." And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then, of course, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Um, The Son of Man came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him, uh, is what Jesus says um, to Nicodemus. And and already you pick up the idea of of the gospel being a gift, um, something that is that is given, something that is received, something that is accomplished by another. But uh, this is always of of interest um, (laughs) to me, and I hope of interest to you as well. Uh, But he says those words would sound obscure to you and me, and as Moses lifted up the serpent 
in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And those, uh, again, obscure words to you and me um, probably, but that would not have been obscure um, words to Nicodemus because what Jesus is referring to is something that happened that is recorded uh, in the book of Numbers. Um, I'm just, you know, no need for a show of hands. How many of you have been reading Numbers um, recently? So I'm I'm feeling kind of comfortable. um, Exactly. Kind of feeling comfortable. uh, None of you. Uh, but, But Numbers... Uh, among the things that we hear in Numbers is uh, the people wandering through the wilderness and, of course, God shaping and fashioning uh, his, his people. And that's something which is obviously very distinct um, for the people of Israel as, as his people whom he chose, whom he delivered um, out of their bondage and their slavery in Egypt and leading them into the promised land. It's something which certainly has application and resonance for you and for me as well as, as people who are being led Um, who are being shaped and formed and and fashioned, and not to be um, too dramatic, but it can often feel like a wilderness, can it? Um, Even with air conditioning and hot water um, and and everything else, it, um, yeah, it it often, the world can often feel like a wilderness. Um, And we are looking, just like the people of Israel, we're we're looking for a place of rest um, in the midst of that. Uh, And the people are wondering, (laughs) and Shockingly, they start to grumble. Um, no one saw that coming, right? Um, you know what? Why don't we just? Why did you bring us out here? Did you bring us out here to kill us? Um, it's kind of, they're kind of the equivalent in some ways of, you know, when we were kids on a trip. How much longer? Um, are we are we almost are we almost there yet? Um, is is the long and the short? And and they begin to uh, complain and say we'd be better off going back. And they and they begin ultimately, beyond the grumbling, they they begin to. They begin to reject God, and uh, something happens. Uh, Fiery serpents begin to bite the people. Um, And and as I say, this would this is kind of one of those. uh, This is a great story for the kids. You know, fiery serpents come into the camp and they start biting the people, and people start dying. Um, So this is um, these are not just uh, any old fiery serpent. Um, And so this begins to happen. Uh, and uh, the people go to Moses. They say, would you go tell God we're sorry? Uh, would you go talk to God? We changed our mind. We didn't mean it. Um, I know we said it, but it was, we were tired. Uh, we were hungry. We were hangry. It was a bad moment. Just go tell God that we didn't really mean it. Um, and so go, Moses goes and he makes intercession. He talks with God uh, and he gets a curious uh, direction to fashion this bronze pole and a serpent is placed um, at the top of the pole random, right? Uh, And the direction is this. When people are bitten, if they they look to um, the pole, if they look to the serpent, they'll be saved. Uh, If they look to the pole, they look to the serpent, they'll be healed. They'll be restored. (laughs) A rather dramatic story um, in the book of Numbers. Numbers 21 is where you can can find it. Um, And so Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man um, be lifted up. Uh, and obviously, this is a, it's a reference to the cross. Uh, the, at, at the heart of the gospel, um, obviously at the heart of the gospel is the cross and the resurrection. Uh, and, and if we're honest, that speaks to human need. It speaks to our, our need uh, more than just simply to be tuned up. Um, we're, we're people that need to be saved. Uh, we're people that need to be healed. We're people that need to be restored. And so that part of what drives us, and, and actually, 
uh, of course, uh, this is this is debatable, and people can debate. I find that uh, I find that a true and hopeful and freeing word to say that we're people that need to be saved and people that need to be restored, rather than people that need to be tuned up. Because when I look at my own life, I, I know that if I say that I simply need to be tuned up, I know that's not true. <laughs> that leaves me in a place of unrest um, and, and disquiet. Because if it's a tune-up uh, rather than uh, a saving and a restoring, then ultimately, really, that, that work is going to fall on me. Uh, and that work is going to fall on you. You need to change yourself. Um, you need to restore yourself. Um, you need to find within yourself the will uh, and the persistence and the means to bring about saving lasting change um, in your life. Uh, and, and, I, and I find that really um, frightening and depressing um, to think about digging down deep enough to find the ability and the means within myself to bring about that type of hope and that type of security, that type of change. And, and the word of the gospel, if we're honest, is often insulting at first. Um, it can be received as a real insult. Um, say, well, wait a minute, what do you mean? Um, I'm not that bad. Um, uh, I'm not that bad. So Jesus refers to the means of our salvation at the heart of the gospel is the cross and the resurrection. It's mercy and love and forgiveness given to people who have not earned it uh, and do not merit it, uh, and, it's, and yet it's given, it's given to us freely based on God's intention and merit rather than our own. And as I say, um, that can be perceived initially as insulting, um, and it can also be a word that is um, freeing uh, and, and hope-giving. Later in Ephesians, uh, Jesus, of course, goes on and says that he is the means by which uh, the gift of himself and the means and the design of God from the very beginning um, that he might come into the world uh, that he might indeed not condemn the world, but to save the world, to say that within the design and the purpose of God is, is our salvation, is our restoration, um, that, it, that the heart of God, um, as corny as it may sound, at the heart of God is, is you and me uh, and, our, uh, and his winning us uh, and calling us into relationship uh, with himself uh, is at the very heart of God. Ephesians 2 um, is a great... Uh, where Paul talks about how it's actually accomplished by grace uh, and through faith and, and not by works. And, it's, and I'm going to read it to you, and it's, and it's really amazing, and it's also reasonably um, dense as well. And, and Paul's writing to the churches um, in Asia Minor, and it's a, it's a, beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful letter in which the, the, the mystery of the gospel is revealed. And of course, Paul was one whose life had been lived uh, as, a, as a Pharisee, um, as Paul would say, as a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, if you, you think you're a Pharisee, I'm more of a Pharisee. Um, you know, if you think you're righteous, I'm, you think you're self-righteous, I'm more self-righteous. You think you're legalistic, oh, no, 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 uh, I'm more um, legalistic. And, and in Philippians, if you remember, um, Paul rattles off all the reasons that, that he considered himself um, fantastic um, and righteous. And he, and he says, now I consider it all rubbish um, compared to the surpassing greatness uh, of knowing the grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But he's speaking to the Ephesians and he says, and again, I think this is a true word, but can, can sound certainly to many like an initially insulting word. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. <laughs> so just a nice sort of cheery intro there. Um, just Paul, and it's, and may I say, as Paul talks about this, if this isn't a, um, this isn't uh, some sort of uh, grumpy um, prissiness that he's talking about. Uh, he's saying, he's not saying that, you know what, I, I want you all to be really churchy um, is, is not what he's saying. But he's saying, you know, we were living in these things which were false promises. So it's not a matter of, uh, again, uh, a lack of joy, uh, uh, a desire not to experience um, pleasure. But what it's saying is uh, it's, it's, all the, it's all the false promises of the world that present themselves as idols. Um, and, and basically our, our pursuit of them uh, leaves us, rather than free, it leaves us bound. So it's, it, that's, that's, what he's, that's what he's talking about there. All the various demigods that we set up in our lives, and we try to pursue them, uh, and then perhaps we attain them um, at some point. And of course, that's a, uh, we're exhausted in the pursuit of them, and then when we attain them, uh, <laughs> we find them tremendously unsatisfying um, and, and not able to fill, and, and they, don't, they, they don't give what they promise. Uh, and then these amazing words, and it's kind of funny, actually, I, I, I didn't know, I, that's, I wrote on this actually in that um, adventure article, which I'll sign for y'all um, after, um, <laughs> after, today's, after today's class, but there are these two great words that come in, it says, but God. Um, so this is, again, that's, that's the word of the gospel. That's the word of God's grace breaking into the world. All this is entirely true, uh, but God. Um, so it's saying all these are real words, but they're not the final word. All these are real words, but they're not the greatest word. The greatest word comes into the world, the word made flesh, uh, which is Jesus. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in him. You're saved by God's grace uh, and not by your works. Um, so that no one may boast, what a relief. What an absolute and incredible um, relief. A, a brief story to maybe hopefully flesh this out, a story I shared years ago. Those who've been around uh, have, have likely heard it. I went to, uh, I, I, my behavior was so good in high school that I went to a military college, um, uh, the, the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, it was actually by, 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 my own, by my own choice, uh, just sort of a glimmer of recognition that I um, didn't long for but needed what it had to offer. Um, who doesn't need more legalism in their life, right? Um, so anyway, I went to the Citadel, and I somehow made it, uh, and it was right before graduation, and my buddies and I came up with this idea, something we thought would be very funny. We came up with this idea one evening while we were out late, um, and it really was funny, but the Citadel doesn't always have a sense of humor. Um, and so 
uh, like a week, this was like a week before graduation, um, I got the maximum penalty at the Citadel, which is 60 demerits, 120 tours. And a tour is an hour marching on the quadrangle in the barracks with your rifle. And the maximum number of tours that you can walk in a week are six. Uh, is that right? No. Uh, I'm sorry, 12. So 120 tours, um, y'all do the math with me, um, would take more weeks than I had before graduation. Um, and so graduation was about a week out. I called my father to tell him what had happened. I told him I was very sorry. It'd be great if he would tell mom. Um, <laughs> so this is all sort of part of it here. And so, you know, it's, it's looming. I'm not going to graduate because, um, because of what I've done. 60 demerits, 120 tours. And, uh, and, you know, of course, it was one of those things, it was, it, one of the tough ones is I was guilty. I mean, I was just like guilty with a capital G, guilty, guilty, guilty. So there's no like, I think there's been a misunderstanding. Um, it was like, no, here was the, you know, here was the letter of the law. Um, here were my actions, guilty, uh, the punishment entirely appropriate, um, laid out in the handbook um, for all to see. This is, this is the way that it goes. And um, at that time, we had a new president, um, General Watts, um, Lieutenant General Claudius E. Bud Watts III, recently retired as Comptroller of the Air Force, uh, Citadel grad, coming back to his alma mater. This was sort of his swan song. He was coming back to be the president. And so I, there I am. I'm, I mean, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm dead in my sins and trespasses. I mean, I'm just dead in the water. Um, and there's no... There's no hope for me. And uh, it came time, uh, we were doing parades, 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 to try to keep us busy. It was too late for me. Uh, and uh, uh, Bishop Watts was being sworn in as the Citadel president. And he stood at the lectern with the Citadel seal on the front. And he said, gentlemen, as my first uh, official act as president of the Citadel, I grant amnesty. And I had not, I had not walked one tour um, in that in that time, uh, and in an instant, um, it was wiped away. Uh, and at that point, I became charismatic. Um, I leapt, uh, you know, praised the Lord, praised General Watts, servant of the Lord. Um, I had a great deal to say um, in that particular moment. It was. It was uh, uh, amazing, um, and, uh, and thus, um, I'm here with you today. Uh, so I was, able to, I was able to graduate, and it's funny because it, you know, it was one of those moments, uh, the, the gospel, I mean, the gospel in life. I mean, again, I was, I, I was guilty. Um, no one else had done it. <laughs> I, I had done it. I received the just, uh, the just punishment um, for my actions. Uh, and an interesting thing about that, uh, this is sort of like a side story. So the assistant commandant of cadets at that time was a gentleman uh, named Colonel Dick, Harvey Dick. Um, and he had been in the infantry in the Marine Corps. And he was this, just like this, he had this head like a bulldog. He was this frightening, scary, terrifying. Um, he was in charge of discipline at the Citadel. You know, imagine uh, this is, you know, war veteran. Colonel Dick, um, well, he, uh, in my punishment, allowed for cuts, work, and amnesty. So that's something he actually could have not allowed was cuts, work, and amnesty. And he actually um, allowed 
I mean, to receive Cut's work in amnesty. When I came out of seminary, uh, he was there at the cathedral in Charleston, which was my first spot out of seminary, to greet me on the steps as I walked up the citadel, uh, walked up the steps of the cathedral, and he said, boy, he had this funny high-pitched voice, this big guy, I mean, had this funny, boy, I used to bust your butt, uh, and now you hear my confession. Uh, that's what he said. I said, that's yes, and don't you forget it. Uh, so he's a, he was a really good, gracious, he really was a good, gracious uh, man. But I, I, I share all that with you because at, at the heart of the gospel is, it's a, it's a, it's a, yes, it's a saving word, but it's also a final word. Again, the, the word of judgment that had been directed toward me was accurate. I was stuck. I couldn't, I couldn't deliver. I didn't have the means. I mean, I was stuck uh, in that situation. I was, you know, maybe a little dramatic, but in the words of Paul, I mean, I was dead. Um, and, and then, but, uh, but then this dramatic, um, radical, um, intervention came in, and, and this amnesty uh, was was given. And and of course, the message of the cross is a word of uh, the way that God wins us is through His grace and through His mercy, through His absolution, through His through His love. That's the word which ultimately uh, wins us. And it's actually that which begins to change us. It's the experience of that grace. It's the experience of that mercy. Uh, it's the experience of that unmerited love that we, we, we worry that that's too good to be true, but that's actually the means, the gracious way and the means by which God begins to change us. Um, rather than through um, hammering us, it's through giving us a grace that we, uh, that we do not deserve. And then lastly this, um, if you remember at the end of Mark's gospel, they are scared and they run away. And that, that's actually, that's kind of consistent amongst the gospels. Um, their you know, denial of Jesus uh, and their um, running away and their uncertainty and discombobulation uh, after he's been laid, after he's been crucified, laid in the tomb. And interestingly, if you remember at the end of Mark's gospel, one of the interesting things Mark draws, at least we believe, on a lot of the eyewitness accounts of Peter. Uh, and so Peter is sharing a lot of this with Mark, John Mark, who is you know, recording um, the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And if you remember the words uh, of, the, of the angel of the tomb, go and tell the disciples and Peter also um, that, that he is not here, that he's gone before you just like he said, uh, and he's gone before you. Um, to gather you. And reading a commentary on that years ago, this guy James Edwards had this magnificent insight. And what he, what he, what he said was this, is that um, if, if that gracious word goes out to a failure and a betrayer like Peter, how much does that word also go out to you and to me um, as well? But he said this, and this is uh, the last thing I want to leave you with in talking about the gospel, is saying this, um, Human failure, human limitation, human shortcoming is, is certainly seen and known by God, and it's a real word, but it's not the final word. And I think that's the, the gospel in a nutshell is to say that human nature does not get the final word. And how often do we want the final word? Um, 
in whatever argument we're in. We want the final word, but it's to say that human nature doesn't get the final word. The final word is given to the crucified and risen Jesus. And rather than a condemning word, it's a gracious um, and a gathering word. Uh, and that is at the heart of the power of the gospel um, to change lives uh, and to bring life. And, and again, in a very flawed way, our prayers and that everything we do here, that that gospel message would be uh, at the foundation of all that we do. Um, so I appreciate Fontaine, the invitation today and uh, great opportunity to be with all of you. And as I say, um, you know, in all honesty, please reach out to me or any of the other folks. We always love catching up with y'all um, and, and happy to do that. What yeah. is the best way to get in touch with you? If someone did want to hear more about your private um, <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great that's a great. So it's uh, Craig at cathedraladvent.com. Um, it's on the website. Yeah, it, it is. is it is. Yeah. So it's. I mean, uh, I would tell you my number. I don't know what my number is. Um, <laughs> I know I have a phone number. Um, but yeah, just you can email me, Craig at cathedraladvent.com or Margaret um, Pope, Margaret at cathedraladvent.com. You know, works with me on my schedule. But um, yeah, so as I say that, I would give you my number, but I don't remember um, my, my number here. Um, I'd love to. Heavenly Father, thank you that you indeed um, have the great and gracious and final word. Uh, and it's a word of resurrection. It's the word of the defeat of the powers of sin and death. And though they continue to tug at us and at times overwhelm us, uh, they're not the final word. Uh, the final word which you reveal is that you're a good and gracious shepherd who willingly lays down your life on our behalf and you take it up again and you say that no one and nothing will be able to snatch us from your hand, that we are indeed your sheep. So I pray that you pour out your spirit upon all gathered here. Indeed, that we would know that we um, have been won by you, uh, that you would make us yours um, always and go with us now. Uh, as we go forth and ever be before us. Know all this I ask in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.